It's really about, I'm looking at this world that is as real as day. What are the ways that I could communicate that world to you? Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. Today, I'm talking to multi-hyphenate artist Danny Cole. Danny is the 22-year-old artist and director of the renowned art project Creature World, which utilizes an array of creative mediums to bring a dream world to life. Danny's primary outputs span fine art, Web3, innovation, immersive exhibitions, and the creation of physical goods. At the age of 18, Danny decided to forego college, moving to New York to create art and share his vision with the world. Since 2018, Creature World has become a staple of the countercultural underground art scene in New York City. What started with graffiti and paintings quickly turned into sold-out live immersive art experiences, clothing collections, displays on Coachella's main stage, shows alongside Beck and musical figureheads, and works presented in the Gallery of Shepherd Ferry. When the pandemic halted live activations, Danny launched Creature World into the realm of NFTs with the release of their self-titled collection of 10,000 immersive digital artworks. It sold out in 13 minutes and solidified Danny as a leader in the Web3 space. Currently, Danny is gearing up for the most ambitious and public projects of his life yet. Here's Danny. My name is Danny Cole. I live in New York City. I make a magical world real through just about every medium. I do it because I would like the happiest place I can imagine to be a world that I can walk into with all the people around me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm already touched. That's a beautiful vision. And I love that you're sinking all of your energy and effort into that. Before we get into creature world, I really always like to go way back to the beginning. And I like to start at the beginning because I feel like there are clues and threads to be found that help to humanize and give context to the creative journey. I know Creature World sort of was formed in your childhood imagination. While I want to talk about the childhood version of Creature World, I'd like to sort of even back up out of that and talk about young Danny Cole and 
what your childhood was like, what your conditions were like, and what you can tell me about how your imagination developed from that. So I grew up in a really small town in New Jersey, population about 5,000. I went to preschool in the basement of a church. I lived upstairs of my father's business who sold baseball cards, and my mother was a teacher. The inception of Creature World is this funny miracle. It is a whole lot of coincidences that if you removed even one component, I would not be sitting here right now and I would not be talking to you right now. And with years to think about it, I have narrowed it down to a few components that came together to place me where I am. The first component is my nighttime routine. When I was in preschool, my nighttime routine was that I would climb into my bed. I would take my blanket and I would wrap it around me like a cocoon. I would put it behind my back and I'd kick my feet up so the blanket would be underneath my feet. And when I was in this cocoon-like state, I would close my eyes with all the energy of a child. And with nowhere else to go, my energy went towards you could call it imagination, you could call it tapping into something, depending on what you believe. I would close my eyes and I would immediately see these powerful, powerful visions of stars all around me, of myself floating in space. And in space around me, I would see all of these different objects and people from my life floating all around me. And I would have time there to look at each of these things and process how I felt about them until something I would spend a little bit more time on and I would zoom right into it and I would go to the the place that it had come from, whether it was from my world or from another world. And every night I would go on these adventures just like that as a part of my routine. I would see something that would catch my eye and then I would go there to the world it came from. And then I'd wake up, I would go to school. Now at this point, I'm in preschool. I am in a very dusty preschool. I still have an <laughs> asthma inhaler as a result of it. There were a few activities that they had for us at preschool, and this is component number two. The main activity that I'm going to highlight here is finger painting. They had an easel, they had a bunch of finger paints, and there was no assignment. It was just paint. When I was first presented with that finger paint, I thought to myself... I'm going to paint a picture of myself. <laughs> so I painted a picture of myself. But you have to keep in mind that as a child, you only get so much time to reflect. You only get so much time to reflect and start to shape your view of your own identity. And for me, the majority of my time where I was sitting put, Developing an understanding of myself and the world around me was in this dreamscape, was in space. So the picture that I painted of myself was very informed by the place in which I learned that sense of self, outer space, at night. Your nighttime routine where you would go on these adventures... You sort of preface that by saying you could call it imagination or you could say you're tapping into something depending on what you believe. What do you believe? I think it's all real. I just spoke about this yesterday and maybe this is going to be something I start to speak about more, but I learned that there are 
societies that have words for colors that we don't have words for. And we can look at green, for example. Are green in the spectrum that defines green? There are societies that divide that into two different colors. We can call that color one, color two. And the idea that I, to them, would call color one and color two the same color is unfathomable. But I can't recognize these as two different colors. I can't see the second color because I was never given the words to describe it. And as a result, it is not something that I've dived into. It's not something that you've dived into. So there's something that's right here that people on the same planet are delving into that's invisible to me that I can't see. I've talked to so many people that have experienced magical, magical things. And I grew up on the internet. You know, I had a computer really young because I used to play music. I made myself a little home recording studio. I started playing drums when I was five years old. And, you know, to, to have a home recording studio, well, you got to go to Staples and get a little <laughs> laptop. So I was on the internet really young. And when you're on the internet really young, it makes you certain that you are an atheist and that anybody that's not is so much stupider than you. I carried that until I realized that I was stupid to think that I knew any better than anyone else. That's a pretty self-aware place to get to at such a young age. I'm not here really to talk about the idea of God. I don't know what God is and I, I never think about it. You know, it's just not me. But in this society that we are in, we talk about magic frequently through the lens of that word God. I believe that the realm of possibility and the realm of what exists extends so far beyond what we can really wrap our heads around that I'm aware that there's more. Whatever it is, there's more. But I love science, I do. There's, there's room for the two to coexist. There's room to love science, and there's also room to say that science hasn't answered all the questions. A hundred percent. The mysteries of the universe are something that I think we've only scratched the surface on. And I think there is a lot of reality embedded in our world that we don't have the tools to perceive. And I think what you're telling me is these nighttime adventures for you are as real as anything else. It's just a kind of heightened perception that you are able to tap into. And I've had so many conversations with other people, especially other people that have grown up in wildly different cultures that have allowed for more expansive or different territories of reality to be shared and spoken about. I have had my moments of talking to people being like, well, can you specify, are you saying that this story happened to you in a dream? Are you saying that... And they look at me and they're like, no, I'm telling you this happened. What don't you understand? And in my head, I can say, well, that isn't possible until you make that connection. And you're like, I understand what you're communicating to me. That picture of myself that I painted in preschool, I developed a habit of painting that. I won't call these numbers because I don't know if that habit is number two or number three. But we'll call it number three. I developed a habit of drawing that picture. It was such a part of my muscle memory that as years went by and I became detached from the memories of going to space and I was no longer 
in the basement of that church, I kept on drawing this picture. I kept on drawing this, what started as a self-portrait, but every time I drew it, it changed a little bit. That happened very, very slowly, but these changes cemented bit by bit until the character I was drawing was no longer myself. It wasn't even something that I remembered to be myself. And furthermore, it wasn't even something that I thought about. It was kind of just like you put a piece of paper in front of me and I know what you do with the paper. You draw a picture on it. And this is the picture that I draw. And it served a number of purposes in my life. You know, this character that started to develop originally was something that I realized I could use to try to make friends and to try to be seen if I turned it into comics in school. It was something I could use to distract myself if I just wanted to, like, see a world that I was excited by on a paper in front of me. One day, I got a canvas and some paint. It wasn't supposed to be something monumental. I got a canvas and some paint because I wasn't happy. And I was really used to the idea of I can lose myself in in activity, specifically in creation. I wasn't happy, so I was building circuit boards. I wasn't happy, so I was creating a home studio. I was picking up new instruments. I was doing whatever, just an activity to get lost in. Why weren't you happy? To keep it very open, I was just an incredibly misunderstood kid. And I think today, if I really put myself out there, if I really put like me, Danny, out there to the fullest extent, I would be incredibly misunderstood still. But instead have taken the route of putting this creature out there for me. And the creature can't really be misunderstood because it isn't anything. It's whatever you look at it and you see. And through that, I'm very understood, overwhelmingly understood. But I was a very misunderstood kid, and it made me really feel very alone. I can relate, and I think it's also incredibly adaptive and healthy that you used your creative outlet to generate a kind of proxy for yourself that could navigate the world on your behalf, both build connection and protect yourself at the same time. Thank you. I appreciate that. Some of the best innovations in this world come out of necessity. And I'm not here to call my buddy cartoon character one of the best innovations, but it was a really important innovation for me. And how old are you at Canvas time? I'm 17. I get a canvas, and and I paint the only thing that I've ever drawn. And it's just this slightly satisfactory experience. You know, I look at it, and I'm like, I feel proud of this. I feel good. I'm going to do this again. But it's not so monumental. But it was enough for me to get another canvas, and I got another canvas, and I started painting. And the second canvas that I got was a lot bigger. And as a result, it took a lot longer to fill in colors. And as I was taking my time to fill in those colors, that repetitive motion functioned similar to a breathwork exercise or a chanting meditation. And I just watched the world around me and the canvas in front of me fade away until I was gone. I was completely gone. I had disappeared. I was somewhere else. And I 
saw this infinite landscape that just went on forever. Standing across from me, kind of like looking in a mirror, there was the creature that I was painting. I took a step towards it, and it took a step towards me. And step by step, we walked right up to each other, we looked each other in the face, and there was this shared understanding. I felt like I had gone home. And I snapped out of it, and there was a painting in front of me. And I felt like I'd been slapped in the face, and I was like, where did this painting come from? What is going on? Where did this painting come from? Because I wasn't here to paint it, but it's painted, and nobody else has been in my room. And before I can even think too much about that, I'm feeling that lingering sense that I was just home. Yeah. I'm asking myself, where do you remember this feeling from? How do you know this feeling to be home? And it wasn't like I was putting it in those exact words, but it's when you're stopped in your tracks and you're like, where do I know this scent from? Like, where, where, where did I smell this before? Where have I seen this before? Where have, where have I heard this before? I'm like, where have I felt this before? It's sort of like soul deep nostalgia. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, 
will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. All of a sudden, everything comes rushing back to me, and I'm in my bed, in the stars, and I'm floating. I know exactly who in my preschool class is floating next to me, and I know exactly what object from the middle of the ocean is floating to the right of me. And this is the grand coincidence. The tether that existed that tied me back to what you could call birth. Or... The cosmos. One and the same. A friend of mine said to me that we condition ourselves out of divinity. I am a hundred percent certain of that. Please elaborate. That we are born from divinity and that the world that we are born into, to function in it, we must be conditioned away from it. To have this tether to such a young time in my life. There's a reason that we equate childhood with wonder. Whatever that is that we're born into, I got really close to it. I started painting all the time. Painting all the time led me to a place where I'm looking at all these paintings and the wonder that they represent to me. I started painting in the first place because I 
didn't want to be lonely. And yet I'm still alone with all this wonder. I decided that the best use of my time would probably be to try to make things that could bring other people to this magical place alongside me. There's a constant pursuit in my life to find the most effective way to do that. I love what you're saying. And I think it's so fascinating. When we're born, we kind of still remember divinity. And through the human experience, we are conditioned to forget it or to distance ourselves from it. The human experience is essentially a process of trying to get back, to remember that, to bring it in, to enfold it into our lives in a way that helps sort of salve our aching souls. What I'm hearing from you is that you accessed it from a really young age, but then you nurtured it and then you formed muscle memory around it and you fought for it and you kept it alive in a world trying to tell you that's imagination, that's not real. I think that's really, really powerful. And I think what's also maybe most akin to that might be a psychedelic experience. And there's a lot of research going on now that talks about how psychedelics sort of light up certain parts of the brain, that this isn't just your imagination firing off, but it's actual perception, gaining perception that's real and useful. I think previous generations would have tried to medicate their isolation through substance. And what I love about the way you're processing all this within your body and throughout your body of work is that you're actually putting story and a concreteness to it that helps other people relate and come along with you without having to go so far away from reality that it's contained in brackets like a psychedelic trip. Absolutely. You're paving the path that makes this sort of transit easier to navigate. Life is a trip. I remember throwing my first art show, hoping so much that by putting people around paintings of another world, that they would be in that other world. And instead, they were in a room with paintings. And how disappointed by that I felt. I thought, you know, I can't teleport people to the world in this painting. But I do have two hands. I got arms. I got a decently strong head on my shoulders. And I don't give up. I said to you before we hopped on this call, it's really difficult to tell my story through output because of how many things I have made. Yeah. And just to tell our listeners in the last four years, like your prolific output is astounding. So (laughs) I, I, I look at the last week and a week ago, I was in the desert and I had taken these seven environments that I saw in this other world. I made them into a sculpture that was 80 feet long, 20 feet tall, and 20 feet wide. And I put it in the middle of the desert, and I climbed on it from morning to night. I made it out of vinyl and air blowers. It was inflatable. But it's a very detailed inflatable. And standing next to this environment, 15 or so feet in the air, maybe a little higher, was a massive creature. 
Wow. It wasn't standing 15 feet. Sitting down, with the creature sitting down, the top of its head was 15 feet. Even though that was just a day for me, sometimes you got to put yourself in your own shoes a few years back and allow yourself to experience the joy from a time that you had even less of an idea of what is possible that you know to be possible now. Unpack that a little bit. At 17, 18, would not have thought I would be able to run and climb through the world in my dreams. I am now 22. I know that it's possible now. Does that make it less fun? No, not at all. Does that make it less important? No, not at all. But there's an added degree when you introduce, I didn't know that was possible. And it wasn't that long ago that I didn't know that was possible. You know, I I remember like a year ago, a friend of mine said to me, and he's not a person that I have particularly deep conversations with, so it like stood out a lot. He said, Danny, please just take a minute and look at what the life you get to live is. Look at what family has fostered around you and please remember where you were a year ago. And I knew that he wasn't referring to the idea of like, oh, look at the fact that your career has progressed. What the fuck is a career? Who cares about a career? I don't care about a career. He was talking about the fact that I was dealing with such crippling anxiety that I would wind up in the hospital because I couldn't eat for a week. He was like, look at the joy around you. And it stood out that need for the comparison of look at this through your own eyes from a point in time that you weren't familiar with the journey that brought you to this moment. You're highlighting something that I think is worth putting some focus and attention on because what the fuck is a career in general? I think a career is the sort of patriarchal capitalistic way of like winning at life or succeeding by those rules. But you're talking about a journey of agency of personal agency, not of approval by society, but of overcoming your own crippling anxiety by using your own creativity and energy and effort to develop a world and a thing and physical reality that works for you. And in doing so, it's rippling out and becoming a model and example for others as well. But the real success embedded in this journey is your personal agency. What I'll say is it's not about a career, but if you do something good enough, odds are it's going to be a career. And time and time again, I look at the things in my life that you could most closely categorize as a failure. And I can justify them and justify why they were meaningful to me. But I know truly that when something doesn't land well enough to be quote unquote a career, that odds are, from my personal experience, I could have done it better. It's about communication. That's an evolving art. Yeah. 
I wonder if you could get a little bit granular with your creative process. I mean, we talked about this enormous environment, and yet the conceptual development of that is something that's been in the works since you were a kid. I'm wondering about that space between an idea and a realization for you, because there is a lot of courage and vulnerability and self-awareness that gets translated out through your material and virtual objects. And so, you know, you described the painting process as being one of you almost being transported to another dimension and coming back and seeing this painting. I'm guessing it, it can't be like that for everything. So when you're consciously deploying your agency, what does that look like? That's a really beautiful question. At this point in my life, I have learned the absolute importance of experimentation. When life starts to move so fast, you're not always going to get the time to clear your plate and go to space. There can't be anything unresolved, anything distracting you if you're going to like really disappear. So a lot more where I put my energy now is I think that you could make the best painting in the world, for example, by scribbling on a page and asking yourself, what do I like about this? What don't I? Make that change. Now, what do I like about this? What don't I? Make that change. You could even start with a scribble that you found. You could start with something that you saw on the sidewalk. You can start with a sign that you saw in an image. But is this how you work? I mean, to an extent, it is. I will frequently just kind of pick up a page and draw anything and then allow that to be a baseline of what about this is where I want it to be? What about this isn't? What you wind up with, whatever idea you wind up with, is going to be so far from where it began that it's not going to be recognizable as the first scribble. But there's a lot of different processes that I work with. Another one is actually still getting away. I went to Joshua Tree and I turned my phone off before I got there. And I didn't turn it back on until I left Joshua Tree a few days later. And I just had my sketchbook on me and a few pens. The ability to just not be pulled in every which direction that this world asks us to be pulled in, but instead just receive. Open yourself up to be a vessel and receive. I wrote enough stories to be a full season of a TV show. I developed enough characters to populate an entire video game in a few days because my attention wasn't being pulled by everything that's looking to grab it in this world. But you know what? That's the name of the game because guess who's looking for your attention? Me. <laughs> you know? But I try to be respectful in the way that I ask for people's attention. I try not to open my mouth unless it's something I think is worth hearing. I think that there's something really magical about disappearing cyclically. Let's say you started a friendship and you saw that person every day from the moment that you discovered them. Well, what about the week that you don't see them? It's like, oh, this is over, I guess. But what if you meet somebody 
you really like them, then you continue to live your life, and then you see them again, and then you continue to live your life. That's how a relationship is supposed to be. You can extrapolate that to so many things that I've just spoken about. You can extrapolate about how that getaway is supposed to be in waves. It's not supposed to be all the time. It's not supposed to be never. You can talk about how the actual way to exist as an artist, in my opinion, is in that format too. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, and it, and it's reflected in nature and, and the seasons and how so many things go dormant for a while, and then they have an extreme period of pushing up and growing and blossoming and then going dormant again. I agree with you. I think that's transferable out to almost everything in life. It's in conflict. It's in tension with the way that society and attention and the attention economy operates because that's sort of constant. So it's on you to make your own cycles. First of all, yes. I think a huge part of my process that I haven't touched on yet is when I am developing an idea, when I am opening myself up to receive an idea, I think we haven't really touched on the concept of, well, how is that idea being expressed? And this is really, really fundamental to the creature world process. Ideas come in the form of a story. They come in the form of, here is a character, like a subject. Here is an environment. Here is an action. This is what's going on here. They come in the form sometimes of like full sagas. From there, when I'm looking at a story, it's a matter of, well, what can I do to bring this to a person? And there's no one answer. I realized the way that I was describing an idea coming to life almost made it seem like I was talking about an idea becoming a painting. But I'm not really a painter. I do make paintings. Sometimes I say I'm a painter because I think it sounds cute. <laughs> but it's really about, I'm looking at this world that is as real as day. What are the ways that I could communicate that world to you? I can put it into a painting. I can make an immersive experience that you can physically step into. I can make an interactive art piece using technology that you're able to further immerse yourself into. I can actually write the story and share the written story, but I don't really do that. I animate them. So I can animate this into a short or into a show that ultimately is going to come out. I can put it into a playable video game. I can turn it into a toy that you're meant to play with. I can turn it into a piece of furniture that you are able to exist in. I can turn it into clothing. So you really can take this art and be inside of it. So you can really be fully immersed in this artwork. And each of these different mediums have their own thing that makes them stand out. Clothing, for example, not only 
are you experiencing what it's like to be inside of the artwork, but also you are making it an extension of yourself and the way that you are being perceived. You are becoming the artwork in everyone else's eyes. Each of these mediums, there's an infinite amount of ways to bring an idea to people. And I definitely do not limit myself to one because there's not really a universal medium. The closest thing to a universal medium, I would say, is music. I agree. And I I celebrate your desire and your need to keep your output of expression as wide open as possible. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In your decision-making process, at what point do you decide what is the appropriate output? What's going to be the most effective? If I have a whole story, you got to tell that whole story. You know, that makes the most sense probably to be an animated cartoon. If I have a moment, just a still moment that can speak for itself and can overcome you, that makes the most sense for that to be a painting. If I have something that I think is worthy of becoming an extension of the self existing in throughout your day, well, perhaps that's best as an article of clothing. It's a very logical way of thinking. It's literally looking at something like a problem and asking yourself, what is the solution? I'm not just trying to apply creativity to something. I'm really asking, what is the most effective? Some of the solutions that we've come up with thus far have been outlandish. You know, <laughs> I wanted the ability to go inside of a painting. I wanted that ability during the time when the world was closed down. My friends and I built a digital art experience where you could get a digital painting and go inside of the painting, go inside of the world in the painting and actually exist there and have free will. And what you did inside of that painting would update to reflect on the painting. That is like a real crazy medium right there. And you know what? It got mixed reviews. And I mean that from the sense of not like, what does some art critic have to say? I mean that from the sense of it got mixed re reviews from the people that I wanted to experience it. And each of these things, you kind of have to do that experimentation because also I feel like 
making a bouncy house, for example, which is what I'm calling this inflatable, isn't really a common medium. That's just something where I was like, this is a way that we could put people inside of the world. That's not something that a lot of people do. And we did it and people did like it, where you really do have to experiment. And it's not so much focused on like, is this liked? It's more focused on, were we effective in our communication of what we cared to share? How do you know if you were effective? What's the barometer reading look like for you? When everything was live, when I started out and almost everything was live, it was about the look on people's faces. That was how I could tell. But now I think it's more so actually just feeling the response. The ability to read any avenue of communication that can come back to me and gauge, do I think this had the impact that I wanted it to have? I remember somebody asked me when I was 18 what I would define as my metrics of success. I gave him an answer and he didn't like my answer because he was coming from a side of monetarily and, you know, this and that. And it was a great exercise that he was trying to give to me. But the answer that I gave to him in terms of being able to gauge impact in this very abstract way is still kind of what comes quite naturally. What is the impact you hope to have? I mean, in general, I know it's, it's going to be fine-tuned, refined for each expression, each output. Yeah, it's all the same to me. Very simply, if I can look at this creature and see myself in it, project my understanding of life, my experience of life onto it, and you can do the same. You can look at this creature and connect to it, see yourself in it. This creature is a bridge. And I can look at you and see that you're feeling the same thing that I'm feeling, and I can humanize you. It can bring us closer together. I want to create tools that are able to bring people closer together. And I also want to make sure that I do my part in making our experience with this miracle of life as enjoyable as possible, as magical as possible. I want to give you the opportunity to have the best life that you can have. Cause that's really all that we're here for is, you know, that's all we can be sure of. That's beautiful. You know, I sense that as you're telling me this and I'm looking you in the eye, I feel your sincerity, but I also sense it in your work. So I appreciate that. I mean, I do believe in the butterfly effect and I do believe that when you plant benevolence, it grows and that benevolence is specific to individuals. And that's what makes this kind of a beautiful symphonic experience. You talked earlier about divinity and I, w I wonder if you could define divinity for us. I speak about it as the universal. Divinity to me is when you are able to tap into something that we are hardwired to resonate with. I think that there is something to be discovered in what we are universally hardwired to resonate with. If you look at all of the unexplainable patterns in this world, there is probably a really interesting answer as to why that exists. 
you got to choose. Do I want to dig deeper or do I want to just experience it? And for me, I remember coming to the conclusion a few years ago that there was never a time that I was experiencing love and joy where I felt the need to dissect and question, is this truly worth me experiencing? Is this truly necessary? You know, <laughs> right? it's obviously necessary. I don't need to know why to know that that is the meaning of life. So if I've identified this is the meaning of life, I might as well just live by it. You know, I'm not looking for answers. That's the clearest, best distillation of the human experience <laughs> that I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm 100% aligned. I mean, you talked a little bit at the beginning about being an internet atheist, but also going to preschool in a church basement. And I'm Jewish, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, separate from organized religion and consciousness, I wonder if you can tell me about a past life. I can tell you about a lot of worlds. I was at the door of this palace and this very divine feminine presence opened the door for me and her skin was white and shiny like porcelain and in between the sections of her body there were cracks of red with all of those cracks being perfectly smooth and she opened the door for me and she led me through the palace, facing away from me by my hand. And through this palace, she led me to a staircase and began to walk up the stairs. And when we got to the top of the stairs, we turned and she ushered me in front of her. And I looked at this room. And in this room, I saw windows either windows or paintings. However you want to describe them, I saw moving pictures. It was kind of like a gallery where you can imagine, you know, these frames evenly spaced. And mm -hmm. in each and every one of those frames, I saw people like me engaging with one another, going about our lives. I also saw in some of the further away frames beings that didn't look like me, that looked very unfamiliar. And I had this very distinct feeling, this is what's behind it all. Wherever I am right now, this is what's behind it all. And I thought to myself, who is this woman? And I turned my head to look at her, and at the same time, she turned her head to look back at me, and she knew exactly what was going to happen. And the moment our eyes met, the whole world started to skip and deconstruct. And I'm looking at her face and the whole world is deconstructing. And I had to think about that memory mm -hmm. so many times. Because every time I recalled it, I would see her face in my memory and then the world would deconstruct before I could really capture what her face looked like. 
But when you recall it 300 times, each time you can grab another detail and another detail until you can draw it out into a picture that roughly looks like her. Now, is that past life? Is that happening right now? Is that happening in the future? That story doesn't really involve time. It's not about, is it a past life? It's more about, is that where I am right now? It's not what my surroundings look like right now, but it happened. Do you feel like you can access the wisdom of yourself from other lives, past, current, future, time time not in being involved, but if other Danny Coles have lived other existences and picked up wisdom, do you have access to it? If there was another Danny Cole, he probably wouldn't look like me. But to an extent, you're another Danny Cole. We are all reflections of each other in some ways. So... This Danny Cole, the one that I'm talking to, that's the father of Creature World. Do you have a vision of yourself when you're elderly? When I was a kid, like really young, and I was just like, you know, you never have to think past your early 20s because you're not going to live for it, you know? And it wasn't even something that I would like thought about as like a sad thing. I was just like, yeah, like you're just not going to do this whole thing. Like you're just not going to do the whole like life thing. Like I had never really thought too much about what it looked like to grow old. And now I'm so obsessed with what I do that I can only think about what is creature world in 60 years from now. What are we making in 60 years from now? I'm not thinking about what is the most likely scenario. The most likely scenario is that I am still living at our studio but I've done a lot more things in the studio. It looks very different. And maybe we have flying robots in there. Maybe we're nearing the revolution where everybody rejects technology and ushers in the newer form of technology that learned from our mistakes right now. I'll go there. That's a beautiful future. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of territory. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to? before we wrap up. I really want to make a TV show. I've been working on it for years now. I've been working on it since I was 19. The piece of advice that I got was I asked this dude from The Lion King. I asked him, how would I make a TV show, a cartoon show? And he said to me, you make it. And I was like, that's really good advice. Thank you. And I've been following it. If you're listening and you think that you have a meaningful way to guide me in this process. I believe that making a, a, a cartoon show will be the most meaningful thing that I do with my life. I'm so happy you shared that. And I really hope a connection comes from this. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for sharing and for going all over the place. You're a philosopher as much as you are an artist. And I feel like you really brought that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. For a transcript of this episode and more about Danny, including images of his work, head to cleverpodcast.com. If you can think of three people who would be inspired by Clever, please tell them. It really helps us when you share Clever with your friends. You can listen to Clever on any of the podcast apps. Please do hit the follow or subscribe button in your app of choice so our new episodes will turn up in your feed. 
We love to hear from you on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at Clever Podcast, and you can find me at Amy Devers. Please stay tuned for upcoming announcements and bonus content. You can subscribe to our newsletter at cleverpodcast.com to make sure you don't miss anything. Clever is hosted and produced by me, Amy Devers, with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Alana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011.